investing in the future. It's one of our six signature themes of who we are as a church. And we've been digging into each of those six. This is week five, investing in the future of the church and community by giving priority to ministering to children, youth, and families. That's what it says. If you want to catch up and read all six of the signature themes, that too is on the church's website, stapletonchurch.com, under our uh, beliefs and signature themes, beliefs and values. There's a tab there. And when I read this signature theme, there's three words that jump out at me. The first is investing. It's in your notes if you're taking notes and following along, investing is that first word that jumps out at me. It's not a quick fix that we're talking about. It's the long haul approach. When we're talking about investing and ministering and spending time with children and youth and families, it's pouring into consistently, week after week after week after month after month after year after year. It's not a quick fix. It's a long haul. We're investing. The second word that jumps out at me is priority. Not lip service. Not secondary. It's not down the list of importance. Children and youth are not second-class citizens, but rather a priority. And you, you may know a little of my story. I've worked with student ministries off and on over 30 years now, and, and I, I've been a full-time youth pastor. I've been a volunteer youth leader. I've been a part-time youth director, and, and I've, I, I don't really get caught up in titles or positions. I just love spending time and, and building relationships and investing and ministering in the lives of students and their families and youth leaders. And, and I, I, went, I went to a Christian college right out of high school. I got a bachelor's degree in practical theology and I became a full-time youth pastor when I graduated from college at the age of 21. And, and I remember early on, early on in my youth ministry, well-meaning people trying to get to know me would, would ask me this question. They, they would say, hey, um, when are you going to be a real pastor? Oh, you know, the titles and positions, but I would just smile, look them in the eye, say, I already am a real pastor. Sometimes people, they kind of get confused you know, well, what they, maybe what they meant was, when are you going to be the senior pastor or the, the lead pastor? When are you going to be the main guy? You know, and I, I've always, over the years, no matter what my role has been, had the heart of a pastor. It just so happens my congregation is 6th through 12th graders, 
volunteer youth leaders and the, the students' parents. I view that as my congregation. And, and that's our priority here. And that word priority jumps out at me. And the third word that jumps out at me is ministering. Ministering. It's not babysitting. It's not just getting the children out of the service where real ministry is going to be taking place. So they're not a distraction. And I'm pretty sure our children's ministry director, Ariel, would agree with me on that one. It's not just playing games with kids or playing games with students, but but ministering to children, youth, and families. It's pouring ourselves in to their lives. It's coming alongside them. It's encouraging them. It's teaching them. It's mentoring them. It's ministering to help them on their spiritual journey. So why is this a signature theme for our church? Let's look at what Jesus said. Let's see how Jesus handled children and families. In Luke chapter 18, there's three verses. Say, one day, some parents brought their little children to Jesus so he could touch and bless them. But when the disciples saw this, they scolded the parents for bothering him. Then Jesus called for the children and said to the disciples, let the children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. I tell you the truth. Anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for each person here. Thank you so much for your presence here. From the very first video and very first song, we know that you want us to worship you, and we've had this great opportunity, and we're taking advantage of it to draw one step closer to you, to take that next step on our spiritual journey. So lead us, guide us. We love you and we worship you, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So in Luke eighteen fifteen to 17, a family wanted to bring their children to Jesus, into his presence, so that he could touch the children and bless the children and, and the disciples they were well meaning they they were kind of like thinking of themselves as Jesus's bodyguards Jesus's security detail Jesus's personal assistants kind of figuring out his schedule who who he should spend time with and who maybe he, they should keep away and so the disciples even though they were well meaning they stopped the family oh No, keep the children over here. And Jesus saw what was going on, and he called for the family, called for the children to come into his presence, to come to him, and said to the disciples, don't stop them. So why is investing in the future of children, youth, and families one of our six key 
signature themes because Jesus set the example. Jesus wanted to bless the children. Did you know Jesus was a children's ministry worker? Jesus was a student ministry volunteer. Jesus wanted to be involved in the lives of families. So today, for those of you who are children's ministry volunteers or student ministry volunteers, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for, for those of you who aspire to be like Jesus. And so... I'd like for the uh, children's workers, if you are a volunteer children's ministry worker, I have something to read from Ariel, and I'd like for you to stand, if you would. If you are a volunteer in the children's ministry department, would you just please stand? You do anything in children's ministry whatsoever. Thank you so much. Excellent. Excellent. Stay standing, and I want you to hear this from Ariel. She says, Dear Elevate Kids Volunteer." Thank you for giving of your time to be a part of the Elevate Kids team. As a member of our team, you have the opportunity to shape the faith of every child that comes into our ministry. Because of your selfless giving, the children of our ministry are able to study God's Word and are learning to be mature followers of Christ. Thank you for your obedience to Christ in living out the Great Commission each week. The impact of SFC in our community is greatly increased by the time and love that you give to our families through your service. Ariel says, I am grateful to each person on our team for your commitment and devotion to this ministry and the children whose faith you are helping to form. And it's signed, Ariel Myers. Put your hands together for our children's ministry workers one more time. Thank you so much. You guys can be seated. Appreciate that. Is that what you just what I just read from Ariel? Does that sound like babysitting? Does that sound like playing games? Does that sound shallow and superficial? I mean, she talked about the Great Commission. She talked about fulfilling the Great Commission. She talked. It's the long-haul approach that we're taking with children and youth and families. Youth leaders, volunteers, student ministry leaders, if you're in this room, I'd like you to stand as well. Stand, please. If there's any the youth leaders, any youth leaders here? My wife, you can stand. She, she's like, uh, I don't, I've already stood once. Yeah, the youth leaders, maybe they have a tendency to stay up a little later, be a little younger, I don't know, 9 o'clock, woo, Bill, that's early. Hey, you're doing 1045, right? I think we could squeeze that one in. Maybe Tuesday night at 630, I don't know. We have nine volunteer youth leaders who work with our students on Wednesday nights. We have three ladies who rotate cooking meals every month as volunteer youth leaders, and I want to thank them. They're an awesome group of caring adults who sacrifice their time, their energy, their passion for our students and their family. And of those nine, we have college students, one in undergrad, one in a master's program. We have young professionals. We have middle-aged adults, and, and then there's me leading them all together. 
of those nine volunteers, four of them have their doctorate degree, two doctors of pharmacy, one doctor of dentistry, and a PhD in autism, my wife. And contrary to popular belief, you do not need to be a doctor to be qualified to work with students in our church. You don't need to be working towards your doctorate to be a volunteer youth leader. You need to have a heart to love students as Jesus loves them. And having worked with students off and on over the course of more than 30 years, I've had the distinct pleasure of being in it for the long haul. I've had the the privilege to see the ups and downs of students as they've grown up. And I would not be doing this if I thought it was of no use. And I would not be doing this if I thought I was wasting my time. I see hope, and I want to tell you some stories of hope today. Former students in my youth group, the first is Phoebe. Phoebe, her father, was a bivocational pastor, a counselor, a strong Christian family with four kids involved in our church. There's a picture of Phoebe as an adult. She has two little children. She's married. She's, she's been an engineer. She's just got a real estate broker's license. She lives in Columbia, Missouri. And she has fabulous hair. I'm, I'm not jealous. Well, okay, maybe a little, maybe just a little. Phoebe, look at that smile. I mean, just engaging. And I reached out to some of my former students and I, I just asked, I told them about this message. I asked them to pray for me as I prepared the message and to pray for you as you listened and, and received the message. And, and I asked for any of them to just share maybe ideas or suggestions or, or testimonials. And so here's what Phoebe said. When I was a teenager, our family was fortunate enough to be accepted by a church family who deeply valued children youth and families. As such, the church focused ministries in those areas, and the results were nothing short of life-changing for us. Today, my older brother had two of his youth group friends as groomsmen in his wedding. That was just a year ago or so. One of whom is married to one of the girls we were in youth group with. My sister is still very close to a girl she became best friends with through interactions and being involved with this youth group. And I myself keep in close contact with a few different girls who, was I, who I was in youth group with. And for the most part, we are still very bonded from having such amazing experiences together while so young. There's no arguing over the statistics, Phoebe says, that show how so many people who are my age who grew up in the church now want nothing to do with the church. And it's my distinct perspective that the church, or that the reason for this, is that most of those in my generation were possibly asked to obey a lot of rules without being offered a whole lot of Jesus with the skin on, pure and selfless love from those doing the speaking and teaching. In other words, the reality I enjoyed was that my youth leaders, and the, uh, they really, really loved and enjoyed us sincerely and completely it felt like they preferred to pour into our lives because we all just couldn't help but love being together we enjoyed age-appropriate challenging talks 
thoughtful Sunday school debates, conversations around Scripture, and always with a healthy dose of conversation around how deep our Heavenly Father loves us and how this love is the driving force behind all that we're blessed with and every challenge we may face. We were not fed moment after moment of sheer entertainment without an end in mind. The end was to be very clear about the greatest commandment. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, as well as the focus on bringing glory to God in all that we say and do. The reality is this, she says, when it comes to young people, talk is very cheap. No one cares what you have to say unless and until they're convinced that someone's willing to really listen first. After all, people ultimately want to know that they are seen and known, appreciated and loved. Kids and teens are no different. When a church body stops at nothing to get to know their kids, the teens and developing families, a natural result is that love and creativity flow out of those who are called into ministry. And out of that calling comes a passion to serve them well and to be in God-honoring relationships with them. Authentic relationships develop. And once all that happens, hearts and ears are wide open to listen and receive what the Holy Spirit of God often speaks through his servants. When God speaks, he can be so irresistible. When the message isn't contradicted by the messenger, but is rather reinforced by the messenger's love, the results are what I was so blessed to have experienced a unity that Scripture talks about. You know the part where it says that they will know you are mine because of the way you love one another. That is why it is such a huge opportunity for great success or devastating failure in the way of how committed a church is to ministering to the young people in the church and community. By church, having prioritized children and youth ministry from my own experience, I felt the love of God in action often, and it changed me enough to never want to walk away from God. He just won my heart too early and was too extravagant in the way he did it, and all because people poured into my life when I was young and let God speak through them. She says, Bill, all of this has to do with amazing youth leaders. And I can't thank you enough. It's one thing to see authentic love for Jesus lived out at home. But when you see more and more of the same through the adults at church that also love you, it helps cement your faith. Phoebe preached right there. Mm. She's also been in some Christian music groups and has a beautiful voice, plays keyboard. She's a worship leader at her church. Mm. It's a story of hope. Because there are times as parents, as grandparents, as children's ministry volunteers, as student, student youth leaders, we get discouraged. We, is anything really getting in? Are they listening? Are they paying attention Do they even care? Is God even speaking to them? Is there any hope? There's hope. And I wanted to encourage you in sharing these stories of hope. The second is from Monica. 
and her husband is Jeff. Monica, she came from a family where her mother was a committed follower of Christ, but her father was not. Her older brother was not. They seldom, if ever, came to church, but her mother was consistent in bringing Monica to church. Jeff, her husband, came to our youth group through the invitation of a friend. And I'm not sure, I don't remember all of the details of Jeff's upbringing, but I know there was some, some difficult family situations. And, and this is what Monica said. Growing up in the church and, com- and committing my life to serve God was very significant in my life as a teenager and as an adult. And I hear about people leaving the church once they reach college age. Fortunately, by God's grace and protection and lots of prayers, I continue to stay seeking God and his will for my life. This was for several reasons. First, I know that I was very rooted in Christ as a teen. I was very involved in my church and youth group. I was challenged in my daily walk with Christ by many mentors that encouraged me, loved me, and invested in me. I questioned, stumbled, failed, and made bad choices along the way, but God was and continues to be faithful. His grace and mercy kept me close to him even when I wasn't seeking him. I know that I had lots of people praying for me in my future. I'm so grateful for people from our youth group who invested in me. I never truly understood that until I became an adult. I am now in a place that I love seeing teens serve God and want to be a part of encouraging others the way I was encouraged. Youth leaders were also a huge part in mentoring Jeff. He recommitted his life to the Lord at a time in his life that changed his life and future plans forever. Shortly after that, Jeff felt called into ministry and went to a Christian university to fulfill his call. And about that same time, we started dating. Two and a half years later, we committed our lives together and have been on this journey in ministry together. I thank God for the experiences that I've had, good and bad. They've shaped me into who I am today. I seek him daily, for without him, I am nothing. That's Jeff and Monica. I remember sitting at a McDonald's with Jeff. All he wanted was French fries and a soda. You want a hamburger? No, already ate. But I love their fries. And today, Jeff and Monica, they pastor a church in South County of St. Louis. And they go on winter camps with their youth group because it meant a lot to their development. And they recognize, even as the pastor of the church, they want to be involved in their student ministry at their church. And the last story of hope that I want to share with you is Gina. Gina. Gina was the daughter of the first pastor I ever worked with, and he was a mentor in my life. And he shaped my heart for ministry. Gina was 
in elementary school when I first started working with her, but I was her only youth pastor for her middle school and high school years. Gina, she's a missionary journalist in the Church of the Nazarene denomination. She lives in Manchester, England, and she's the managing editor of EngageMagazine.com, which is the online missions magazine for her her denomination. She also coordinates communication projects involving video production, website development, graphic design, a team of freelance writers. And she's been to more than 25 countries from India and South Asia to the Middle East and across Western Europe, interviewing people, gathering stories, and training church leaders in the arts of storytelling. And later in life, Gina married another student, from one of the youth groups I was youth pastor for, Andrew. Here is what Gina says. In my childhood, Betty Ward became children's director, and she put a lot of effort into children's church services on Sunday morning. It was in one of those children's services which was shaped and formed around what we could understand and where we were developmentally as kids, as well as how we worshiped through movement, Crazy and simple songs, crafts and games, where Betty asked where Betty asked us to stand. If any of us wanted to have Jesus as our personal Savior, I was six years old. But the way Betty and the other children's workers had taught us over several years meant that what they were asking finally made sense to me. And I was one of those children who stood and began my journey with the Lord. From that point on, I was nurtured in a church where all around me were people who contributed to my spiritual growth through teaching Sunday school class, conducting vacation Bible school in the summers, children's church services, and so on. The parents of my friends cared for me and showed a respect for me as a person who knows the Lord. Even though I was a child, I benefited from growing up in a church where everyone demonstrated that following Jesus was a joyful experience, that instead of a list of don'ts, It was about saying yes to a loving God in whatever he asked of us and having fun along the way. We were a church that had lots of fun. At some point, maybe when I was seven or eight, a missionary came to our church from Africa to speak. Her name was Juanita Pate. The only thing I remember from her presentation, besides just that it seemed cool to serve God like that, was that the part of Africa where she lived had been struck by a terrible drought and famine. She talked about how there was a great need for rain and asked us to pray for rain. I began praying for rain as a child, and at the same time, I started thinking I would like to be a missionary like her. I also started writing her letters. To my surprise, she sent letters back telling me about life in Africa, sent me pictures of safari animals, and so on. Every night as my parents prayed with me before bed, I prayed for rain in Africa. One night my dad came home and said, Oh, Gina, I forgot to tell you, they had a huge record-setting rainstorm in Juanita's part of Africa, and the drought is over. 
I began to cry because I was amazed at the fact that God would listen to me, a little kid, about a place and people far away like that. Gina goes on to say, over the years, I forgot about the idea of being a missionary, and I developed other dreams. But the whole church continued to invest in my spiritual maturity and development as I explored who I was in God. As a teenager, I was a part of a youth group, which was lucky to have a variety of wonderful adults who were youth leaders for youth nights and activities, and the youth leaders planned special youth services specifically geared to where we were developmentally and the things we were concerned about and how we could understand biblical concepts of God at that age. Having our own service gave us a sense of cohesion as a tight-knit, mutually supportive group. The youth leaders spent time with us and gave us a safe space where I could grow to trust them and then ask questions about faith, about God, and about the Bible. When I had doubts or was wrestling with something difficult, there was always an adult there to compassionately listen without judging and to encourage me to ask those questions and explore those doubts. I think that kind of environment encouraged my intellectual curiosity and taught me that it is okay to have doubt in my faith and to question God, which in later years prevented me from thinking that doubts or questions meant I couldn't follow God anymore. I graduated high school, went to college, and after a lot of journeying and uncertainty about my vocation and calling, I am now serving as a missionary in Europe with my husband for the past six years. I can see how I've benefited from all those years of spiritual formation in a church where so many adults and young people nurtured me in the faith invested so much time and creativity and created spaces where I could learn about God and experience Jesus and the Holy Spirit in ways that were appropriate for my age and level of understanding. They spent so much time in relationship as well as teaching. They listened and they encouraged and they gave me confidence in myself, particularly through the difficult junior high years when I was bullied at school. Through all of that, God has brought me to an understanding that it formed and shaped and called me into cross-cultural full-time ministry outside of my home country. I now am living my dream, doing what I love, and meeting amazing people all around the world and growing more in love with God all the time. That's Gina. Mm. Stories of hope. So if you're discouraged, be encouraged. There's hope. And as I've worked with our students here, there's stories of a bright future. Our current children and our current students, you may know them. And as you get to know them, there are stories of of hope in the four years that I've worked with the students here at our church, I've seen stories of, of a bright future. And I, I won't go into those stories, but I could talk, as you plainly can see, for a long time about the wonderful things that God is doing in the lives of children and students, young adults. There's hope and there's a bright future. 
so many of our students that come on Wednesday nights are alive and vibrant and curious and funny and challenging. And I want you to maybe get to know one or two. If you see them, ask questions. Maybe pop in on a Wednesday night and hang out in the back. About 45 minutes. It'll change your perspective. 6.45 to about 7.30 right here is when we do the, the heart and soul of our student ministry on Wednesday night. Psalm 78.4 says, We will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about His power and His mighty wonders. Do you see why this is a signature theme of our church? We're talking about investing in the future. Some of you probably could write a story just like some that I've read. Maybe this church or other churches invested in you. And now, just like every single one of these three stories that I read, how they're now turning it around and they're investing in their families and in their church and their community, you can do the same thing. So I want to end with... Five ways to invest in the future. Very tangible, practical ways. The first is pray. Pray. Prayer is a foundation that we build our ministry and our church on. Pray for our children's ministry workers. Pray that God would lay it on the heart for other, others to step up and be involved. Pray for the children to be open Pray for the student ministry on Wednesday night. If you happen, if you want, you could put a, I don't know if you do it like me. I have a calendar in my phone. And I put in reminders. It's kind of like my to-do list. And so if you want to pray for the children or the students, put it in your phone. Put in the time. And it'll, it'll give you that little notification sound that you pick or that's the standard if you didn't pick one. And at, at 6 o'clock on Wednesday night, your phone notifies you. And you look and it says, pray for turbulence. Pray for the student ministry. No matter what you're doing, if you're eating dinner or you're doing your thing in the evening, maybe you could just pray and say, God, pour out your spirit. 9 o'clock on Sunday morning for the children. 10.45 on Sunday morning. Tuesday nights at 6.30 for the children. Wednesday nights, 6 to 8. Just pray. At 10.20 between the services, there's a prayer meeting. It's been going on for about six months. And there's four to eight people that will gather to pray. One of the ladies that I got to meet and got to hear pray on a regular basis from going there is Grandma Fran. Grandma Fran can pray. If you're not sure how to pray scripture, pop in today at 10.20 or some Sunday at 10.20. And listen to Grant. You'll know who Grandma Fran is as soon as she starts praying because she prays scripture. She says, God, your word says, and she quotes the scripture, and your word will not return to us void. And so, God, as our children are being taught, Lord, may your word not return. And I'm just like, thank you, Jesus. She knows how to pray. I've asked her, hey, would you pray for us on Wednesday nights? Pray for our students, for our leaders. She says, I already do, Bill. I already do. 
The second thing that you can do to invest in the future is volunteer in children's or student ministry. Volunteer. Maybe God is laying it on your heart that it's time for you to invest some children or some students. You can mark that on your next step card. You can talk to Ariel. You can talk to me. You can email us. If, you, if God's laid it on your heart, and if it's something that you want to do, you'll, you'll seek us out. You'll, you'll follow God's leading in your life. You can volunteer. The third thing, third way you can invest in the future is donate money. Beyond your tithe or regular giving, you can donate money for camp scholarships for children. They have a camp. They go third through fifth grade. You saw the video. Students are going to winter camp. About half of our students that come on Wednesday nights, their families do not attend this church. Many of them are come, come from single-parent homes. All surrounding Stapleton neighborhoods are represented. And so there's some that could use a scholarship. Some couldn't go to, to these camps if they didn't have some help. And maybe God has blessed you, and you could say, you know what, this is an investment it's not just a tax write-off. It's not just a return. It is a return on investment, return on investment spiritually. The fourth way to invest in the future, take a child or teen under your wing. Maybe you're like, you know what? I have a child of my own. I have a grandchild. I have a niece and nephew. I have a neighbor. I have a family friend that I just, it's time for me to step up. I want to take them under my wing. I want to be pour into their lives. I have a 28-year-old and a 24-year-old, a boy and a girl. One of my prayers often has been that other people that come across their lives, that they run across, would invest in them. And I'm wondering if maybe there's some kids or some children or students that God is laying on your heart to be the answer to my prayer or to be the answer to someone else's prayer. Because we we all need as many people as possible. That's why I encourage you as as parents to to bring your children as as often as you can to, to children's ministry to bring your students to the student ministry as often as that you can get them there so that they have the opportunity to be influenced by other adults. Because I, I view it myself and our ministry is that I partner with parents, that I'm here to support you and to help you. And that leads me to the fifth way to invest in the future, and it's parent with boundaries. And over the course of my time in student ministry, I've seen the pendulum swing. Early in my ministry, I, I, I saw some parents that were, that were too strict and too, too constrictive, and, and they laid the law down, and it was their way or the highway. And as, as long as you lived under my roof, and then it was very harsh, and, and, and there, it wasn't balanced with love. And the pendulum was way over here. And over the course of my, my, my involvement in student ministry, I've seen the pendulum swing, in some cases, way to the other extreme.
And, you know, some of you may have had parents that were this way. You're like, whew, I am not going to parent like my parents. They were too strict, too too controlling. I, I couldn't breathe. I felt so. And so the pendulum, sometimes, you know, the natural reaction is parenting. And I'm no expert in parenting. Just because I have two grown kids does not make me. But I am an observer. And there's some of us who have said, you know, my parents were this way, and and I want to learn from my parents' weaknesses and mistakes, and that's good. But sometimes we let the pendulum swing way the other way. And that's the natural reaction. You know, and I, I... For many parents today, the pendulum is swung so far the other way that they're not really parenting. In fact, some don't really parent a child that have that have let the pendulum swing over here. They want to be friends. And, and they set up few, if any, boundaries for their child or teenager. And I want to recommend a book called Boundaries. It's by Dr. Henry Cloud and Dr. John Townsend. It's, it's, uh, a, I highly recommend it. It's called Boundaries. Proverbs 13, 24 says, Those who spare the rod of discipline hate their children. Those who love their children care enough to discipline them. Hmm, that's strong. We love our kids. We want the best for them. And so a part of that parenting is boundaries and discipline. And you're doing a child a disservice if they grow up thinking there are a few boundaries in life that's just not realistic. When teachers try to teach and guide a student with boundaries, some students push back because they've not been parented properly. Talk to a teacher and see what they say about this subject. (laughs) I worked for five years as a substitute teacher in Adams 14. And I subbed every grade level from kindergarten all the way to high school. I focused mostly on middle school or high school, but there was times. My worst experience as a substitute teacher was with a fifth grader who dropped multiple F-bombs, threw a big old book at me. I thought he was going to kick me because he was, like, wanting to, and he was, but he didn't refrain there. He didn't refrain in about any other way. And I often wonder about that child. I wonder what his house might be like, his home, his parents. I don't know. And for any children or teenagers that are here listening today, I have a verse just for you. Ephesians 6.1, children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. You want to do the right thing, kids, students? The verse says, students, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Parenting is hard. And parenting is rewarding. And my challenge for you as parents is to set appropriate boundaries. Here's my vision for our children and youth. I have this vision that they would come to worship regularly, 
the children and youth would come to worship and they'd come with an attitude ready to sing and ready to praise God and learn and grow in their faith. The children and students would come and listen intently to the message and, and engage in that and talk about it and process it with others and apply it to their lives and take the next step that God lays on their heart. That's my vision for children and students. And one way this will happen is for our children and youth to see parents do these things because more is caught than taught. And I have this vision. I have this vision for parents, that parents would come to worship regularly and come in with an attitude ready to sing and praise God and learn and grow in their faith, that parents would listen intently to the message and and talk about it and process it with others and apply it to their lives and take the next step that God gives them. Jesus said, let the children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom belongs to those who are like these children. I tell you the truth, anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. We're a church that is investing in the future. Children, youth, and families. And we want our children and youth to come into the presence of Jesus to a place like SFC where they will be blessed by Jesus and not let well-meaning people or well-meaning things detour them from coming into the presence. The disciples were well-meaning but misguided trying to hinder the children coming from Jesus. Our church is investing in the future. Are you?